Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye Jr. Uh, my first guest is uh, Congressman Adam Smith from the 9th District, uh, the former chair of the House Armed Services Committee, now the ranking member. We also have uh, Bob Armstead, the president of the Washington chapter of the National Association of Minority Contractors. He has some real good news for small contractors a little later in the program. But I want to go to Congressman Adam Smith first. Uh, I guess... Uh, Right now, things are seems like they're in a turmoil. It seems to me that a lot of people in the country need help. We got people living in tents and stuff, and uh, a certain part of the of the Congress seems to be more interested in investigating uh, their opposition rather than helping the American public. I'd just like to have you give me your observations on that. Yeah, no, it's a tough time because the Republican Party right now doesn't really have an agenda other than grievance and being angry at apparently the efforts to hold Donald Trump accountable for his actions. So, yes, while we're dealing with you know, significant economic challenges across the country, in Congress, you know, the House Republicans have decided to censure Adam Smith, try to impeach Joe Biden, and try to impeach Merrick Garland, and spend all their time obsessing about Hunter Biden. And it's really disappointing because, you know, we, we've got a lot of real serious issues to address in this country. And then the least we could do is pass the appropriations bills to fund things like housing and education programs uh, that really are going to help the community. And it's going to be a tough uphill fight uh, because the House Republicans, like I said, all they're interested in doing is exactly what you said, investigating and persecuting their political opponents. Well, I have taken a strong exception with President Joseph Biden on not expanding the Supreme Court. I don't know what the kind of results he's expecting out of the current makeup of the court. And it's my understanding there's no constitutional provision or mandate to have nine justices on the court. Yeah, no, we could. Now, President Biden doesn't control that. Congress would have to pass a new law expanding the court. Um, so that's up to Congress. Um, and of course, the House Republicans control that piece. But the other thing is, if we expand the court, um, we better make sure we maintain control of the presidency and the Senate. So, you know, that that would be the problem with the expanding the court issue is, you know, what if, God forbid, Donald Trump gets reelected and the Republicans take control of the Senate, then we're just throwing more far right wing justices on the court. So, you know, it's, it's a double edged sword if we go with court expansion as our solution. Well, I say I think that uh, the D's will control both houses and the White House uh, next time around. If that's yeah. the case, I certainly hope, because they'll have the same nine justices, including the biggest hypocrite in America, Clarence Thomas, who gained everything he received through affirmative action. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, the late Dr. Arthur Allen Fletcher, who's known as the father of affirmative action, said, well, the biggest political mistake he ever made was to have President George H.W. Bush have him endorse Clarence Thomas to fulfill or to fill Thurgood Marshall's Thurgood Mar seat yeah. Supreme Court. And uh, Clarence Thomas can't carry Thurgood Marshall's shoes, not alone, let alone his briefcase. And uh, the, it's so hypocritical that this guy got everything he got through affirmative action. And there are reports that when he was undergrad at Holy Cross, he was walking around looking like a Black Panther. But I guess that was just the clothes, the beret and the boots and the fatigues, but not the brain. 
So, but yeah, anyway, well, Congressman, I don't want to spend all my time no, but that, preaching the to you. The affirmative action issue is a really serious issue, and, and, and the court's fundamentally wrong on it. And I think we need to still work to try to make sure that we create fair opportunities uh, for black Americans in this country, which are clearly not there. I am encouraged by the people who are bringing the lawsuit against Harvard about legacy admissions. So you get all of these people who just because they've had relatives who have attended to college, they get a leg up to get into some of the most prestigious universities in the world. And given the fact that a lot of these colleges wouldn't even let black people into them until about how many ever years ago, um, that gives a huge advantage to, to white people when it comes to education. So, I mean, to get rid of affirmative action is to fundamentally misunderstand the history of this country. And we need to continue to look for ways to make sure that there are opportunities for those who haven't been given those opportunities. And, you know, then you got a certain group of people here who has been here for 400 years, over 254 years of slavery, 100 years of marginalized uh, living conditions. And if you look at it right now, we still have the same situations and, but, I mean, we have a, a, a really a, a catastrophe now with this homeless situation with these 10 cities, not only just in uh, the Seattle, Tacoma, and Washington area, but all across the country. And it would seem to me that uh, the wealthiest country in the land can get people in some form of housing. I've been working with uh, one group that's trying to uh, uh, solve, resolve the problem for the city of Seattle. And uh, this gentleman has a a unit that can have some of us communal, you know, but a brand new right off of uh, t- on 10th Avenue East. Uh, and uh, for whatever reason, uh, uh, we they, the city housing office, uh, the lady that runs that apparently doesn't like it, uh, but it's absolutely amazing. You got a place ready that, that's, you know, brand new, that's ready to go right now. And there doesn't seem to be a rush to get people in there. But we're going to be meeting with the mayor's office about that as well. So what are your priorities right now, given all the blocks that you guys have on the Democrat side with uh, 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 the Republicans in charge of all the committees we've seen their antics. Uh, what can we do and what can the people yeah. in your district and citizens across the country do to help get some sanity back to U.S. Congress? Well, you hit my number one priority with your comments about housing. Affordable housing is the number one challenge that we face in the Puget Sound region and also is faced across the country. And there's three basic things that we need to do. We need more money to build more housing. We need to change the zoning laws to make it easier to create more density. And then to your point on that project that you just mentioned, we need a change to permitting so that you can permit houses more quickly and build them more quickly. There's a lot of times when money is put into affordable housing, but then it takes forever to get through the permitting process and building it. You know, we have a crisis of housing. We need to respond accordingly and build more so that we have a greater supply. So, you know, affordable housing is number one at the top of my list. The second thing that I'm really focused on is um, workforce development and job training, and in particular, Mm -hmm. making sure that our young people, and even in some cases our not-so-young people, have access to skills training. I mean, a four-year degree at a college is great, and I want to make sure that's available, but there's a ton of jobs out there that don't require a four-year degree. We need to make sure that we're offering apprenticeships in construction trades, in automotive repair, in cable installment, in, in basic coding. 
which doesn't require a four-year degree either. And there's a lot of good programs that are coming on. Uh, there's the a new program down at Tukwila that has apprenticeship opportunities in the construction trades and also to get a commercial driver's license. The machinists in Tukwila have an apprenticeship program to teach people how to you know, get jobs in aerospace. So I'm looking to expand those programs and increase that economic opportunity and also very, very focused on affordable housing. Well, I, that's pr good. We do have a, a problem with uh, some of the uh, unions. I have to tell you, you know, we had to go back and probably you were real small and probably not even walking by then, but in 1974, with the help of Tyree Scott, Michael Wu, Harley Bird, uh, Milton Jefferson, and uh, Todd Hawkins, uh, and um, we were they were able to get a federal court order mandating that blacks be dispatched out to union halls. Right now, uh, people are saying over 60% or 60% or of the African-American males in the trades don't get past the third year of the apprenticeship program. So we have a serious problem there. And you can almost see it driving around uh, the Martin Luther King Jr. County. That's a rarity to see Blacks. I've even uh, took up one issue with a Renton City Council member. I've never seen a Black on, on a, uh, a public works crew with, with the city of Renton. So there's some things that we still need to do. And I'm willing to talk to all elected officials, uh, whether they're at Renton or Seattle or Congressman Adam Smith, but I do want to thank you, Congressman Adam Smith. We came to you with uh, a, with the MLK Gandhi Empowerment Initiative, initiative to train some folks who have been left out of the technology industry uh, to get a stipend, and, and you were able to say, hey, uh, are you going to serve my district, but let's go to Senator Patty Mary, who covers the whole state, and that was a very good move, sir. So on behalf of the board and the advisory board, the Martin Luther King Empowerment Initiative, we want to thank you for your support in that endeavor. And hopefully uh, when we start getting these folks churned out, we want to make sure they know, well, when they get to orientation, they're going to know who you are. They'll also know who Patty Murray is. Uh, so we yeah. want to make sure that. And we also want to make sure that if folks are eligible, they're registered to vote. And uh, we're not going to you know, tell them who to vote for, but we want to give them the information. So uh, that's why they have voters pamphlets. So we will not be violating any principles or policies. But I just want to uh, have a quick chance to have Barb Armstead, uh, and you're one of our, I want to let everybody know, uh, Congressman Adam Smith has been one of our staunchest advocates for equity. So I want everybody to understand that now. And he will listen. Uh, but Bob, you have a couple of comments for the, for the Congressman? Uh, a couple real quick. And and thanks again, Congressman Smith, for, for all that you've done to uh, to support and help the community. Uh, there are two things that the National Association of Minority Contractors have been focusing on since um, late last year or mid last year. One is the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, uh, the largest public works project in the United States since the 50s and the uh, development of the interstate highway system. Uh, we have been attempting to get reports that would provide us uh, with information about the act, uh, specifically uh, President Biden, when he signed the act, uh, stated that he wanted 15% of all of the funding from the act to go to minority communities and minority firms. We have been able to get uh, information usually uh, four or five months uh, late we want to make sure about 
about the amount of funding that has come into Washington State, but we have not been able to get any information regarding about the, uh, the expenditures and inclusion of those funds. So if there's any way that you could assist us in getting that information, we greatly appreciate it. And the other is the Inflation, uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, and our presenters at our meeting today will be the Department of Energy uh, from Washington, D.C. and the Department of Commerce here in Washington State, where they will talk specifically about projects uh, that are available through that act that will allow small and minority businesses to uh, to be prime contractors as opposed to always being subcontractors. Yeah, no, ha happy to help with both of those things. And, and, and Bob, you've already, I think you were one of the first people that brought to my attention the problem with contracting and how it's not living up to how those dollars are supposed to get out. Uh, to minority-owned businesses, and we've been, been swinging away at that and had, had some success with some of the transportation issues. But these two big programs that you just identified, um, we are very happy to help to make sure that those dollars get out and meet, meet those requirements. I, I will have my staff reach out to you, um, and, and we will work with you to make sure that we, A, get that information, and B, make sure that the dollars go um, to minority-owned businesses where, wherever possible. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Smith, we really appreciate your support, and uh, we will keep you posted. As a matter of fact, before you go, though, there is a Seattle Garfield High School graduate, also was the president of the Black Student Union over at Central Washington College. That's back in that day. As a matter of fact, this vice president was a guy by the name of Ron Sims. And, uh, you know, the All-Star Game is in Seattle. FS City has already started. So I'd like to have... If he could, Mr. Uh, center fielder for the Oakland A's, Bill North, can you uh, uh, make a uh, give a hello to Congressman Adam Smith? Hey, how are you, Congressman? I'm doing well. You getting them laws to working? I'm, I'm, I am doing. I'm doing my best, and uh, you know, you people, people help. Yeah. yeah. I don't. Let me see how to get on here uh, with a picture, huh? <laughs> Well, you're on the air right now, so yeah, that's all that matters. The thing is, is that uh, Congressman's on the phone. <clears throat> there I am. Okay. So he won't be able to see you until we, we do a recording and send it to you. But anyway, I just wanted to make sure that since the All-Star Game is and all the festivities are in Seattle and Martin Luther King Jr. County, that we have our superstar from Seattle, Garfield High School, Central Washington, who had two World Series rings with the Oakland A's, make sure that he's on and have a word or two with the congressman. So I thank you very much for that. And Congressman, I know that you're rushing in between meetings. Do you have any comments for All-Star Center Fielder, William Spud North? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm good. I appreciate working with you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I just, you know, quick shout out to you for doing the MLK Gandhi thing. I mean, that's a great job. Great, great place to direct people. Appreciate the work and uh, look forward to continuing to work with you. Thank you. Okay, we appreciate it. Okay, thank you. All right. Bye now. All right, now we'll go to Bill Nora. So uh, I was looking up, uh, I said Central Washington, you know, it wasn't no Central, people gonna tell me it was Central Washington University. Back in the day, it was Central Washington State College. That's what it was, see? Exactly. Squeezy. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, yeah. with the All-Star Game in, in town this weekend, why don't you relive and share some of the, your memories about 
uh, winning the two World Series championships in 72 and 73 with the Oakland A's, which will soon be the Las Vegas A's, I guess. Rumor has it. Yeah. Um, it was 73 and 74, and I got hurt right before the 73 series. Okay. And I lost a stolen base title, lost some walks, uh, um, uh, bases on balls, and and uh, run score by uh -huh. one each. And, but it was kind of a disappointment not to be able to go the first year. But then God is good. I used to think it was me, but he's the one that's really good. And oh. he got me back there again. And so I appreciate that. And all I wanted to do since I was eight, nine years old was play in the World Series. And somehow or another, he guided me through to that. Now, you also... You also experienced uh, an injury that you never revealed to anybody. You got hit in the eye or something like that? When I was 18, I was, uh, uh, we were just getting ready to start our summer league, you know, with CAY, O.L. Mitchell, and them. And we were up in Canada. I was leading off second base, and the guy made the motion back there. And when I looked up, I can still see that ball today. And it was right there. It got me in the eye. But I think all in all, that was probably the best thing that ever happened as far as my career. In as much as I was, you know, I was never the best player on on the teams we were playing on coming up. I was always the third or fourth best player and that kind of thing. But when I got hit in the eye with that baseball, it was something that went through my mind about it not not being able to do it anymore and that made me want it more and, and i went from there i came back that summer and went from there to uh central washington and then uh we came in third in the country my sophomore year and then my junior year i was i was uh i hit 476 i was a first team all-american and i was supposed to be one of the first five picks in the country but because of being president of the Black Student Union, amongst other things, I was drafted the 243rd player pick, the 12th round. But it took me only two and a half years to get to the big leagues, like one of those first five would have done. But it, it's all it's all enjoy. I had a wonderful life, and I'm just so appreciative of being included with you and your show. And, and this weekend, it's something to me. Yeah, tell us a little bit about all this All-Star Weekend in Seattle. Well, I'll tell you this much. They had an article after I had retired talking about the best players never to play in an All-Star game. And I was one of them. And the thing that I get now, and I always, those guys used to always come back, the guys that were on my team that went to the All-Star, and they come back with this gift bag. Okay. And there'd be three, four thousand dollars worth of stuff in that bag. And I always wanted a gift bag. Well, this weekend I get one. They All call right. it MLB swag. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, uh, you know, uh, we're gonna have uh, Carissa Braxton on join us in a minute, but we, we, I wanted you to uh, share with some some more of the memories about some of your best games, some of the biggest surprises you had. And actually, uh, in the 70s, 
And when you played, well, you guys were, they were, they were flying in, right? With no trains or no buses, it was airplanes. Well, yeah. In, in the big leagues, mm. you, had, you had some 16-hour bus rides in the minor leagues. <laughs> <laughs> now, and whoever was hitting the best got to sleep in the luggage rack. Now, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, we traveled first class and, and, and that made a lot of people mad because when we took up first class, uh, uh, the contract required that we have three for two, three seats for two players. And these people are all packed in the back of the plane. And so they, <laughs> they walk by, they sneering at you and everything else. But as far as it goes, there were some great times, uh, uh, but none bigger than the 74 World Series when we won, when we won that one. And, and I got to celebrate. That's the pinnacle. That's the top of the mountain. And if you don't want that more than you want the money, you're not much of a player. All right. And you you kind of etch your name in history. Hence, we're talking right now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then some of the guys like in Garfield and, and the other thing I'll say is that is that the lack of African-American players in the major league baseball, is that because they're opting out uh, for basketball and for football? Because we see a predominance of Latin players, but we know they don't have football fields down there. And they, they play baseball all year round and they're good players. I was really impressed with what Tampa Bay brought to the plate. Well, what I would say, on that, when I played, it had gotten to the point in late seventies where there was twenty nine percent, twenty nine point eight percent African Americans. That was before the TV contract. Uh, I mean, the TV contract got big, and with that right there, see one of the uh, uh, anomalies about baseball is a revenue share. So. Uh, and maintain in America, if a white man can make money without using a black man, he will. I don't know if I should be controversial <laughs> with the game, but that right there is, is to me, and now there's 7%, that's one and three quarters players every mm-hmm. team. And, and they built 20 uh, academies in the Caribbean before they finished one here. Uh, baseball is, is turned into an extremely expensive sport, too, is that now they have what's called select teams, and you'll spend three to $5,000 as a parent for your kid to be on a select team, but they give a very few black players, but some black players, scholarships to be on those teams. And along with the fact that, especially where we are, which is one of the things why uh, back, especially back in my day, they had fewer players from the Northwest because we just didn't play enough baseball because of the weather. And, and now uh, it's the development of baseball players has another problem of they've made uh, uh, high schools, you know, how they put them in, in, groups like 4A and 3A and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Well, now you've got, because of population at school, you've got Garfield playing Redman. you got Garfield playing Issaquah. you got Garfield playing Bellevue. These guys have 
that this, those kids in the suburb have been playing together since they were eight, nine years old. And so I want you to hold on. I want you to hold that point because I want you to hold up for uh, uh, Carissa Braxton is one of the people that's going to be involved with tomorrow night's HBCU All Star Game. I'm and, uh, but anyway, uh, Eric, can we take this break and come right back. Hold on, please, bro. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. At Sound Transit, we not only connect more people to more places, we're making life better for all. We're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire region of opportunities, like jobs and school. If you have an ORCA card, you can just tap and go. We have reduced fares for seniors and riders with disabilities. For adults with lower incomes, check out ORCA Lift and pay just a dollar for your ride. To plan your trip or to learn more, visit us at soundtransit.org. Alternative Talk 1150. It's good for what ails you. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. All right, Eric, thank you for Earth, Wind, and Fire. I want to let people know that we want to thank the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, headed up by me and Rice, the SeaTac Bar Group, LLC. They own the African Lounge and the Mountain Room Bar and Concourse A out of SeaTac. Two military officer veterans from the Iraq War. Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion. The City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Office. And also want to congratulate Craig Jackson for graduating. Uh, Ted Daniels has uh, passed away. His service will be up. Uh, uh, it will be announced later on. And then also uh, the Black Wealth Power Training that will happen on Saturday at the Taylor 100 Hub. You can see that in the back page of the Fax newspaper. And then I want to congratulate Chris B. Bennett in the Medium newspaper for having uh, the National Newspaper Publishers Association the best sports section. So Seattle is doing it. So I see we've been joined by Miss Carissa, Carissa Braxton, one of the leaders uh, out of uh, New Beginning Tuition Fellowship, and she has a role to play uh, Bill North. Carissa, I want you to know that uh, Bill North got uh, uh, some championship rings with the Oakland A's. He will be there tomorrow. And also Bob Armstead, well, we just had uh, Congressman Adam Smith and Lim Howe's going to talk about the Supreme Court when we get done. So, Carissa, tell us what's happening on Friday night out at uh, T-Mobile Park. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me this afternoon. So, tomorrow we are going to be kicking off All-Star Weekend 
um, the MLB All-Star Weekend with uh, the Swingman Classic. And so this is the first time that this initiative has been curated by Ken Griffey Jr., who is a icon here in Seattle, um, MLB, as well as the Mariners. Um, and this uh, new initiative is bringing together All-Stars, baseball All-Stars from different HBCUs across the country to T-Mobile Park to play on an international and national stage. Um, and a part of the programming, what we try to do is work with Mar the Mariners and MLB um, to really curate an HBCU experience even beyond the game. So in addition to the game that is obviously the main draw, there's also going to be an HBCU career fair or a career in um, college fair where students and their families will be able to meet with different recruiters as well as D9 organizations that serve the community um, here in Seattle and in the greater Pacific Northwest region. Um, and there's also going to be kind of like a tailgate party um, at Steel, I think it's called Steelheads across the street from the ballpark so that people um, can just come together as community and meet each other, hang out before the game um, over food and drinks and music. Um, and then there will be plenty of activities happening inside the ballpark um, throughout before the game starts throughout the programming of the entire game. So we're really looking forward to being able to bring together folks under the banner of the HBCU experience to kick off All-Star Weekend. Well, that career fair is going to be really, really vital now because we have the Supreme Court Justice Against Black People uh, striking down affirmative action. So uh, anybody listening, uh, if you have a student that's been turned down uh, if you think they're going to be turned down, you need to go to that career fair. How many colleges will be represented there, Carissa? I'm not exactly sure the first number or the, the final number. Um, I know that people are working in the background trying to get as many schools represented as possible, but there will be several um, that I think is really important, especially for our young people that are here in Seattle, where we don't always, first and foremost, we are some of the farthest students in proximity-wise from HBCUs. Um, in, in the nation. And so it's important to take every opportunity to connect with those uh, recruiters, whether it's folks flying into town or those who work from Seattle, to be able to have those, that, those connective points because all counselors, unfortunately, are not always well-versed about our schools and institutions and the options that exist. So I really encourage parents of all young people um, to bring their students to talk to recruiters and learn more about our different institutions, not just because of what's going on in the Supreme Court, because our institutions um, have um, excellent programs, even in spite of what's happening at other schools. So I don't want folks to think that our institutions are those that are secondhand or are a um, an afterthought or, you know, go there because you're black and, and you won't have no problems. But I really want them to see that our institutions as premier um, places where they can continue their education. Well, uh, Carissa, you graduated from Howard University, right? I did, proud graduate of Howard University, class of no, 2014. Wait, wait. <laughs> go, go. You were my co-host before you went to college? Or was that uh, During, actually. I think I started with you while I was still in undergrad um, and continued after I graduated. Yeah, okay. Well, that just, uh, uh, I would, like I said, you just, that was a good point about making sure people get exposed. It would be, you know, it's really amazing. They said folks are against affirmative action, but every time I put the, the sports section up, I'm hearing about all these three-star, four-star, five-star recruits. So that affirmative action is not keeping young black men out who make white institutions money. They can get in, but the student that just trying to get an education can't get in. 
Mm-hmm. So it'd be good if some of these top black athletes would start going to black colleges. And they, mm-hmm. and the University of Washington, all of them need to start doing some business with black folks. Black folks are generating the dollars with the NCAA, basketball, football, the N- NBA. Uh, I can't say much about Major League Baseball, but uh, <laughs> the NFL, I mean, each one of those teams, they, they should be doing contracting, making deposits. Uh, you know, black young black men are making folks all kind of money, and the black community is not participating in any of that money. So uh, I think we have to change our paradigm in terms of waiting for a front. Well, we are the affirmative action because if we're not on the field, on the court, you're going to have a lousy team. And all the people are supposed, <laughs> all the people are supposed to, to affirmative action. Now, I know people don't want to end up with a team without no brothers on it. I mean, it's just, you know, they're not going to win. And it's amazing <laughs> how they find a way to get them brothers in that can generate some money for those institutions who can't get a regular black student in. So that's absolutely... Clarissa, is there anything that you would encourage folks to do before you go back to work? Because I know you hold a big time job and we don't get you no trouble. (laughs) No, it's all good. I'm happy to be here. Um, I think the biggest thing is just getting folks out and getting folks to purchase their tickets to be in the game. As I mentioned, this is the first year that the MLB is launching this new initiative. And the hope is that it will be able to be a part of the regular programming for MLB All-Star Week as it travels throughout the country um, in years to come. And so, you know, I think that we are very fortunate in Seattle to be making history in this regard with Ken Griffey Jr., who is an icon. Um, to us, but then also in the baseball world and fans around the world know who he is. And I think it's important that he's putting a spotlight on these amazing players that are at HBCUs and really shedding a light and um, elevating just the intersection between baseball, baseball athletes, black athletes, and black um, institutions and our role in producing not just athletes, but scholars and the leaders of, um, of today and tomorrow. And so my hope is that Seattle will come out the gate strong that the players that are coming to this this side of the country that a lot of people don't come out here unless you have a a real reason to show up to seattle that we are welcoming them with a full and a packed out arena and not just a couple of people here and there tickets are only ten dollars ten dollars it is the most um, affordable event of the whole all-star week for a lot of people this might be the only game and activity that they are going to be able to participate in and so we want to make sure that everybody is able to to show up to enjoy um, like I said the game but also all of the experiences that are going to be built into the game because we're trying to make it as much of an authentic um, replica as we can do on this side of the country of what it what it feels like and what it looks like to be a part of HBCU institutions. Um, for those of us who did go there, we know what it feels like to be on campus and to be amongst community, and that's what we're replicating here. Um, okay, Carissa, we, the MLB. And uh, songs of Black folks will be singing the, uh, the national anthem, the Black national anthem, so we'll look forward to seeing you on the field. So thank you very much yep. for your time. Brother North, thank, thank you very you. much. Uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about the Supreme Court with civil rights attorney emeritus, Lim Howell. How you doing, Lim? I'm doing fine, thanks. Okay, so tell me about uh, your friend Clarence Thomas. You know, it is so disappointing. You know, he is a product of affirmative action. And he says his Yale Law degree didn't get him job when he applied for jobs after graduating from law school, he got many rejections from law firms. 
And that and a 15 cent stamp or something is all that it's worth. You know, he's the, <laughs> I, it is so disappointing. He got there, so he pulled up the ladder to prevent others from coming up. It's very disappointing. What is really also very disappointing is that his benefactor, uh, while he may not personally have an action up there, he supplies amicus briefs to the court, for exa example, against the Voting Rights Act. Can you see a black man after all the sacrifices that black people and other people have made to get voting rights for blacks, for that man voting against Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act when it first came up? I, I explain, explain what section two to the listeners. Everybody's not a steam okay. like you. Section two means that for counties or jurisdictions that had discriminated in the past and prevented blacks from voting, mostly in the South, when they came up with new regulations or new ordinances, had to get pre-approval from the Justice Department. You know, uh, I don't think we give enough credit to LBJ. LBJ did a hell of a lot of things for black people. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking just about the 1964 Civil Rights Act or the 1965 Voting Rights Act. I'm talking about Medicaid and Medicare. And I'm also talking about he integrated the whole healthcare system in the South. They couldn't get federal money unless it was a unified hospital that served both black and white. A lot of people don't know that, but LBJ's uh, 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 various departments instigated a lot of integration in the South. But- uh, Well, Liam, now that you mentioned that, you know, the 60th anniversary of the August 28th, 1963 March on Washington is next month on August 28th, it's on a Monday. And uh, we're going to have a Zoom call on Tuesday because we want, you know, people saying we're going to have not, it shouldn't be just one event. On that Sunday, the August 27th, I'm going to encourage all my friends who are members of the clergy to make sure they include that and encourage people to stand up and fight again for their rights. So we'll have an event, but we're going to encourage everybody in the Black community to remember what we had to go through to get these rights. And we can't sit idly by and let people just even the Supreme Court or no Supreme Court and let them take our rights. Man, I just wanted to mention that. Go right ahead. Oh, that was in 1963 March on Washington. Eddie, did I tell you I was there? Yeah, I know. Oh, okay. All right. So we, we definitely want you to uh, to speak at some at some if, point. You know, if, I, if Eddie, you snuck out. I'm 87 now. I don't know how much more time the Lord is going to give me here, but if I'm around. I'll be happy to partake of any any capacity you ask me to do. I was concerned about the uh, affirmative action decision concerning Harvard and the University of North Carolina that the Supreme Court has ruled you cannot take race uh, into consideration. But there's a way around it. And I hope that a lot of people applicants to these institutions do. And that is to say that in spite of my race, I had to overcome this obstacle and so forth. 
and say, yes, I am black and I was not treated properly and so forth and so on. And you get it in through that way. But uh, I, it really disturbs me when people talk about colorblind. Eddie, we don't know what a blessing it was to get Katanji Brown Jackson on that court because she said, she told one of the lawyers, what do you mean colorblind? They passed the 14th Amendment to make sure that the freedmen, the black slaves, would be protected with an amendment rather than just legislation. So in 1868, when the 14th Amendment was passed, they had in mind blacks. I mean, they passed the 13th Amendment, neither slavery or involuntary servitude. They passed the 14th uh, Amendment, giving blacks equal rights and equal protection of the law. They passed the 19th, they passed the 15th Amendment, making sure that blacks, black males, then they didn't, I guess they didn't even consider white women then, but black males could vote. Uh, and, and so we got all those amendments passed. Their eyes were wide open. What is this colorblind? She asked him, what is this colorblind? Uh, the Constitution is colorblind nonsense. I'm so glad we have her up there so that people aren't listening to. Oh, I'm telling you, when Bush appointed uh, Clarence, it was a dagger to my heart. Thurgood Marshall, the great, great, great civil rights lawyer and jurist, and Clarence took his spot. That really hurts. Really hurts. Spot. He didn't take. He didn't take Thurgood's spot. He's just in the spot. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't carry Thurgood Marshall's uh, not his briefcase, not even his shoes. But the the thing that disturbs me is that his benefactor didn't become his friend till after Clarence made the Supreme Court, and then at the reception he met him, and all of a sudden is his best buddy. And he pays for these expensive vacations and flight on jets and uh, and yachts and whatnot, and then pays for his mother's he Clarence Thomas's mother's home, and also uh, the the tuition and whatnot for his grandson. You know, and he doesn't disclose this in papers. He violated the law, and it, it's disgraceful. I really think he should be impeached because there's too much connection. This guy, his benefactor, puts in an amicus briefs to the court, and that's the way, that's the way Clarence votes. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. You know, the Bible says, judge not that ye be not judged. When he was in the hospital the other day, I was not praying for his speedy recovery. <laughs> You probably had thousands to join you on that one, Lynn. You know, uh, Eddie, it, it is bad that he occupies the seat that he was because he has been an anathema to the progress of race in this country. And anyway, but, but then you have another one coming up, that Tim Scott from South Carolina. He voted against Katanji Brown Jackson. What? What basis did he have to vote a woman jurist who was better qualified than all the others except for the possible exception of Roberts? Roberts was the best constitutional scholar I saw on that court. And he believes in precedent. Eddie, supposedly, he believes in precedent. 
He did not vote with the with the others to overrule versus Roe versus Wade. He voted that the Mississippi statute was constitutional, but he didn't touch, he didn't vote to overrule Roe versus Wade. Uh, he, he was saying you were just reducing 21 weeks to 15 weeks, so the Mississippi statute was constitutional, but it would diminish the effect of Roe versus Wade. But the others said that there is no constitutional right. The right of privacy didn't include a constitutional right to abortion so that the states can do what the hell they want. Yeah. It was Man, we, we, we're out of time, but I always appreciate your input to see uh, with all the background, all the stuff you have, we're going to have you back on again and talk about your experience uh, the very first uh, August 28, 1963 March. So that's a separate subject. But thank you very much for being here today. We appreciate you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm a has-been. So for you to ask me to come on is a real privilege. Eddie. Your wealth of knowledge, man. We have to pay We have to pay homage to our, our elders, especially the ones that made significant impact in uh, the lives of Black folks in this country. So, Eric, we will take this last break and come back with President Bob. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. At Sound Transit, we not only give people more reliable ways to get around, we're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire system of opportunities, like jobs, school, friends and family, and to the airport. Our commitment to economic development provides opportunities for women and people of color to compete fairly for sound transit contracts. All of this helps our regional workforce grow and thrive. Go to soundtransit.org and search DBE to learn more. Make it a great day. Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. Brother Johnson, I think I think that was some more Prince people right there. But anyway, we're going to President Bob Armstead, president of the, the Washington State Chapter of the National Association of Minority Contractors. There is a meeting, a membership meeting this afternoon from 5 to 6.30. There are individuals that Bob will talk about right now and the positions they're in and state and, and federal government. So go right ahead, Bob Armstead. Uh, thank you very much, Eddie. And quickly on the meeting, uh, the meeting's a virtual meeting. So anyone who is interested in attending can attend. Uh, you can access the meeting by going to namcwa.com. Uh, that is the website uh, for NAMAC. And on that website, on the first page, there are two access points uh, to the meeting this evening. Uh, we at, at NAMAC have been attempting to uh, find and provide information for the community regarding 
uh, our inclusion in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which is the $1.2 to $1.5 trillion public waste project uh, that's going on in the country. We've had some success in getting some information. Uh, example being $3.7 billion have already been allocated in Washington state. Uh, we have not had any success in being able to determine uh, how, when, and where, and if the 15% that President Biden uh, committed to being spent in minority communities and with minority firms. Uh, fortunately for us, uh, Eddie's first guest, Congressman Adam Smith, uh, agreed to, uh, to assist us in finding that information. Uh, very importantly, this evening for our meeting, uh, we will have presenters from the U.S. Department of Energy in Washington, D.C., and the Washington State Department of Commerce, where the energy office for the state happens to be located. They will be speaking specifically about the Inflation uh, Reduction Act and the opportunities that are available through funding under that act uh, for our communities and our businesses. Uh, usually uh, when I have the opportunity to talk about uh, our meeting, I am encouraging small businesses and individuals who are interested in being in the construction industry in any capacity to attend. Today, I encourage everyone to attend, uh, specifically nonprofits and community groups that have buildings and facilities. What our presenters will be speaking to tonight are programs like uh, weatherization, uh, community development, uh, building rehab and repair. Uh, it's information that everyone in the community needs to have so that they in turn can speak with their elected officials and ask them if they have applied through the state for this funding so that they will have an opportunity if they're a nonprofit with a building uh, to have weatherization and other improvements done to their business. If they are minority business, that they will have an opportunity to do some of the contracting that's going on this program. This is an opportunity for our firms that usually have to depend on subcontracting in order to, uh, to get work. This is an opportunity for them to be prime contractors because of the size of the projects that are being funded through this program and the fact that the Department of Energy and the Washington State Department of Commerce are looking specifically uh, for our firms to participate in the projects that are going to be funded by this act. So it's very important for everyone to know about this. So if your particular local government or school district or whatever it happens to be is not contacting you about this, you can go to them and ask them if they have been in touch with Michael Fursey at the Department of Commerce in the state of Washington about funding 
that will provide funds for weatherization and other uh, facility uh, improvements that will come to those agencies that they will be able to go to and get contracts with and, and be prime contractors. You know, it's, it's one of the things that Eddie is always pushing whenever we go someplace that we can only survive if we are the prime contractor, that we're not put at the wheel of other prime contractors being subcontractors have no problem with people working some contracts, you know, that that's a, a good way to make a living. But if you have the opportunity to be the prime contractor where you have the direct connection with the agency that you're providing the work to, you have an opportunity to establish the relationship so that if you perform well on this project, you will have opportunities to do other work with them. So I encourage everyone to go to MAMCWA.com, which is the National Association of Minority Contraction Washington State Chapter website. There are two places on the first page that comes up on the website where you can uh, access the meeting tonight that starts at five o'clock and goes from five to 6.30. Bob, will that be will that meeting be recorded for people to view at a later date? Uh, yes, it will be. Okay, so I want to make sure I want to get that out as well. So, Bob, uh, I will see you at five o'clock. Thank you for hanging in with us for the whole hour. I think that uh, uh, you got a chance to hear from some folks, and folks got a chance to hear from you about how we can all get together to make sure that we participate in the economic pie because the Supreme Court uh, justices don't seem like they care if we do or not. So, thank you very much, and I'll see you at five o'clock, brother. Thank you, Eddie. Okay. Uh, once again, I want to thank uh, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC, that owns the Mountain Room Bar and the African Lounge on Concourse A, Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion, the Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Department. And I want to uh, let people know that uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins will be at uh, the Tabor 100 Hub tomorrow from 10 to 2. Uh, on the back page of the day's uh, uh, or yesterday's uh, Seattle Facts, you can see that information there. And then once again, I want to congratulate my man, the coach, Craig Jackson, for uh, his uh, success in the classroom. And we will get you information about Ted Daniels Memorial Service. It'll be at a later date. And then once again, the guys over at the Medium has done it again. And that's, uh, they had the best sports section according to the National Newspaper Publishers Association. And that's uh, Adam Myers, a photographer, uh, Aaron Allen, writer, photographer, and layout, publisher, CEO, Chris B. Bennett, John Sanders, photographer, and writer, jo Josiah Scott, and digital and social media not pictured is Ray John Stelly. So thank you very much, Eric. I'll give you a call a little later.